Alright, welcome back to Healthspan. This is Michael. This is part one of Age Later by Dr. Nir Barzilay. Dr. Barzilay is the founder of the Institute for Aging Research at Albert Einstein College of Medicine and is also one of the leading pioneers of longevity research. Before I begin, if you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to please leave a review and I'll go ahead and leave my Instagram in the episode description if you want to leave me a comment or a suggestion. So Dr. Barzilay begins his book by discussing the mysteries of aging. We can understand why the circle of life includes death, but aging is different. How would an organism evolve to deteriorate as it grows older? How does it benefit us as a species to have our eyesight dwindle, to have our mobility decline, to have our stamina evaporate, to have our bones wither, and our bellies bigger? Now, growing old may seem as normal as growing up, but when we take a closer look, We know growing old is this very complex and often painful mystery. And it's a mystery that we must solve because aging poses a dramatic increase in our risk of having every single chronic disease. The major risk of all types of cancer is aging, and so is the major risk uh, for diabetes and Alzheimer's. And he brings up a good point that everyone talks about cholesterol contributing to cardiovascular disease, but it's really only a threefold risk whereas aging is actually a thousandfold risk from dying of cardiovascular disease. Now, many chronic diseases are united by one primary cause. This is the biology of aging itself. While there are a lot of genetic and environmental bases for many age-related diseases, aging increases our chances of contracting them more than any other factor alone. And if we don't make some dramatic changes in how we approach health and instead continue to treat one disease at a time, The best we can hope for is exchanging one disease for another. And this is actually the same point that David Sinclair was making in his book, Lifespan, which I actually reviewed and you can check out. Treating one disease at a time or targeting just one organ rather than targeting aging is a miserable approach and it's not working. We need to actually work upstream of all these diseases. And what's upstream of all these diseases? Again, it's aging. So what Dr. Barsley decided to do was approach the problem from the opposite end and find out what delays it. So he has these super-agers, which are these centenarians in his study at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, uh, Medicine's Institute for Aging Research. And the million-dollar question is, what makes super-agers stay healthy? So we might theorize that these people derive all their benefits because they have healthier lifestyles, But as it turns out, that's actually not the case. Nearly 50% of the centenarians in his study are either overweight or obese, and nearly 50% smoke, and fewer than 50% do any type of moderate exercise. And this is an important point. Demographers estimate that for for most people, genetics are responsible for about 20 to 25% of aging, and the environment is responsible for the rest. But the statistics are vastly different for centenarians whose genes are about 75 to 80% responsible for how they age. And the environment is really only about 20%. So Dr. Barzilay puts this 80% on genetics, 20% on the environment. And this is why he's so determined to unlock their secrets. What is exactly in their genes that is making them live so long? So when he started this longevity gene project back in 1998, he had three distinct hypotheses to find out what exactly is keeping these uh, super-agers alive so long. 
So the three hypotheses were, first, these superagers had perfect, a perfect genome. The second hypothesis is that it's some sort of lifestyle or environmental factor. And the third hypothesis is that they are somehow protected from these age-related diseases. So we're going to go one by one and discuss these three uh, different hypotheses and see which one he concludes is the most likely. So again, we're going to begin with the perfect genome. This is the idea that superagers just got so lucky that they got all the best genes. All the genes are in their favor. They have all these longevity genes. And this is the reason that uh, they're able to live past 100. Um, so we're, we're going to begin with the perfect genome. To test this hypothesis that all centenarians had a perfect genome, he conducted the entire genome sequence, sequencing in his first 44 centenarians. So he sequenced these 3.2 billion nucleotides and put them into an information database called ClinVar. And what he discovered is that their genome didn't even come close to perfect. And in fact, there were actually 230 variants that increased their risk of age-related illnesses, like Parkinson's, like Alzheimer's, uh, like other inflammatory diseases, and cancer. And in fact, two out of these 44 centenarians, they actually had the APOE4 gene. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with Alzheimer's and APOE4, you know that people who have copies of the APOE4 are something like 20 to 30-fold 30 30 more likely to get Alzheimer's and die in their you know, 70s and, and 80s. But these two people were actually alive and mentally well at the age of uh, over 100. So we know that... Um, you know, even though they had these APOE4, they were still able to live uh, a pretty long and healthy life. So that's the first hypothesis that they're, they had a perfect genome, but we know this is not right because they found so many variants that increased the risk of age-related illnesses. So how about the second hypothesis? This is the idea that centenarians interaction, uh, they have a good interaction with their environment. And in addition to asking them about their habits, he asked them why they thought they lived so long, and in all their responses, uh, while they were not the same, uh, they had 10 overarching themes. So a lot of these centenarians, they often helped those in need. They also had a belief in God or spirituality. Some said it was luck. Some said uh, keeping busy and active uh, was the reason. Some said not smoking or moderate drinking. Um, another one was social or family support. Another one is a positive attitude. Another one is physical activity. Another one is diet. But the most important thing was, despite all these external factors that you might fi uh, figure into longevity, the factors that, that the superagers have control over and often do take control over, they believe that genes are the biggest determinant of lifespan. And of course, Dr. Barzillet agrees. So, so much for these healthy lifestyles getting credit for long lives. They were astonished that, our, that his study subjects had habits that were as bad or actually worse than the habits of those in the control group. So it was clear that as a group, people with exceptional longevity do not really have healthier practices or habits than the general population. So when, we com when he completed the study, the important takeaway was that the third hypothesis appeared to be the most correct. Again, this third hypothesis was that these superagers, again, these centenarians, were somehow protected by genetic differences 
that the general population didn't have. So again, the idea that although these, these centenarians didn't have the healthiest lives, they were actually protected um, in the, their genome was protected. And this is what differed between the general population and those who lived to over 100. There are a lot of theories of aging, and that's kind of what he gets into in chapter two. So his chapter two is called Why We Age. And he goes over the big uh, different hypotheses like genomic instability. This is the idea that there's a lot of uh, frequent mutations that happen in our DNA. And a lot of times our repair mechanisms aren't able to keep up with these mutations. So we accumulate damage, we accumulate uh, cancerous cells, uh, and this is what's causing the problem. There's also, of course, the other hypothesis that our mitochondria are declining in function as we age. We know the mitochondria are the powerhouse of our cells. They're the ones producing the energy. And without this energy production, uh, we're, we're, all our functions and all our organs are declining. Heart, kidney, liver, GI tract. Mitochondrial dysfunction is associated with many of these health risks. So we know mitochondrial play, uh, function plays a role. And next we move on to um, one of his favorite explanations for aging, which is the antagonistic pleiotropic theory. So this is a theory that David Sinclair talks about in his book, um, Lifespan. And this antagonistic pleiotropic theory suggests that biological resources we need for reproduction when we're young may end up hurting us when we're old. So let me use cholesterol as an example. So for cholesterol, we need cholesterol to build membranes of our cells, and it's also important for reproduction. So it's possible that people who have high cholesterol levels are going to have more reproductive success. But after their children are born, this cholesterol can eventually turn against them and harm their blood vessels and increase the risk of heart disease and stroke. So again, what might be good for us when we're younger isn't necessarily what is good for us as we age. And there are, again, some more recent theories of aging as well. Um, we turn to Dan Buettner in his Blue Zones. Again, I discussed Dan Buettner's book, Blue Zones, in a previous podcast if you want to check that out. But to, to summarize his book, he has these centenarians, these certain pockets in the world that he called Blue Zones. These areas include Loma Linda, California, Ikaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Sardinia, Italy. And Dan Buettner found nine common denominators among the people in the blue zones. And some of that stuff included like some moderate physical activity every day, having a life's purpose, consuming moderate amounts of alcohol, enjoying uh, active and uh, integrated family lives. And all these common denominators can contribute to a longer health span and lifespan. But Dr. Barsley thinks that the most significant common denominator is genetics. So, for example, in Sardinia, there are three villages that are very close to each other that have populations of 100 years old, year old males. But there are many other smaller villages nearby that have the same exact environment. And these people don't live as long as people in Sardinia. So that's that's the idea that no matter where the centenarians live, they are usually genetically unique. And we need to keep in mind that not everyone who lives in blue zones actually makes it 200 years old. So again, we, we're discussing more and more theories of aging. Uh, he also talks about telomeres. Telomeres are the end caps of our DNA that protect our DNA. It was kind of discovered by this woman named Dr. Elizabeth H. Blackburn. 
and she won a Nobel Peace Prize for discovering the the molecular nature of telomeres. And as we age, our telomeres actually become shorter and, sh- and shorter. And Blackburn and others promoted this hypothesis that this shortening of our telomeres is what's driving our aging. And in Dr. Barzillet's study at Einstein College, he's found that centenarians actually had longer telomeres than people who were 85 years old. And the centenarians' offsprings also had longer telomeres than their control group. So he's seeing that these superagers have longer telomeres. But we need to do more long-term studies to understand this conclusion because we don't really know if the people who had longer than average telomeres at age 85 started out with longer ones or if they just became shorter more slowly than other people. So telomeres is kind of this expanding field um, and more and more research will be done to find out how important it is when it comes to aging. Now, one of the latest theories of aging is by David Sinclair. Again, I talked about his book, Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have to, if you want to check that out. But David Sinclair comes up with this information theory of aging, which proposes that we age and become more susceptible to disease, diseases because our cells actually lose information. So you can think of our genome and our DNA as a CD player. And as we get older, we get scratches on our CD player. Therefore, our genes cannot be read as well as it did when we were younger. And these scratches come in the way of either environmental exposure or DNA damage. For whatever reason, our CD is being scratched and our information in our DNA cannot be read as well as it used to. That's David Sinclair's information theory of aging. So we're going to move a little bit ahead and go on to the next section, which is eating less may lead to more healthy lives, healthy years. For years, caloric restriction consumed uh, geroscience because it was the only reliable method we'd found that could significantly extend longevity and delay the occurrence of age-related diseases. So caloric restriction, that is really the only thing. Forget all these diets, keto, carnivore, whatever. Caloric restriction is the only thing that is improving our longevity. So collectively, Dr. Barzillet discovered that caloric restriction reduced age-related pathology, cancers, and other age-related diseases in rodents, and slows down most physiologic functions. So it not only increased lifespan, but also increases health span as well. But again, what is the problem with Uh, caloric restriction, we all know that it's a compliance issue. People won't stick to these caloric-restricted diets because they they have a weak uh, willpower, and they just won't do it. Even if it's important for their health, they won't restrict calories. That's the problem. So again, if you're to take one thing away, remember that caloric restriction is the only thing that has been proven to increase our lifespan and health span uh, when it comes to... um, you know, just living longer. So moving on, uh, he talks about fat next. Uh, So unlocking the secrets of fat. We used to think fat was just some like storage, uh, excess storage of uh, of fat around our waist is just sitting there, not doing anything. But we know that adipose tissue or fat is really this biologically active uh, molecule. And it's actually secreting a lot of different hormones and peptides. So one of the hormones released from fat is called leptin. Remember, leptin tells our brain when our body has had enough to eat. Remember the saying, leptin keeps you thin. So while it's true that more fat tissue would mean more leptin we have, 
uh, our brains actually stop responding past a certain point. So we become so-called leptin resistant. This is kind of similar to insulin resistance where uh, we have insulin production, but we're just not responding to insulin. It's the same thing for leptin again. We have so much leptin, but we become leptin resistant. Uh, and it's no longer uh, keeping us thin anymore. The next hormone we talk about is adiponectin. Now, adiponectin uh, is actually generally good for us and our, our metabolism. And it actually has been shown to lower insulin resistance and also decrease the amount of inflammation. So for those of us without the beneficial mutation, uh, a little bit of fat works in our favor, but having too much intra-abdominal fat is at the core of metabolic decline that occurs with age. So again, to review, adiponectin comes from our fat cells, and it has a lot of positive, positive benefits, but having too much visceral fat is, of course, bad for us. So we need, we need enough fat to um, produce adiponectin, but not enough to cause all these metabolic problems. So near he takes on caloric, he takes his, this is his take on caloric, caloric restriction. Uh, this is his theory that the reason why caloric restriction actually works is not really from uh, restrict, restriction of calories, but the reason caloric restriction works is because it helps keep off adipose tissue. Now, I never really thought about this theory, but that, that's what Nir Barzilay comes up with. He's, he thinks that because we're restricting calories, we have less visceral fat. And because we have less visceral fat, this is the reason why caloric restriction works. So that's an interesting theory that I never really thought about until reading this book. Uh, so again, he puts it to the test. So I'm going to describe two different experiments with rats and show you why visceral fat may be the reason, uh, may be contributing to our aging. And why caloric restriction causing less visceral fat may be the reason why we're living longer. So our first experiment involved Zucker lab rats. Uh, for those who don't know, Zucker lab rats are predetermined to become diabetic. In fact, by the time they're five months old, 100% of them will become diabetic. And what he did was he removed the rat's visceral fat at two, two months of age. And by the time they were five months old, only 20% of them had diabetes. So he removed the fat and only 20% actually had the diabetes. So it looked like a huge victory until he hit the end of the month, uh, month six. And by the time uh, six months came around, they were diabetic again. So he, he was kind of disappointed at first, but then he realized what had happened was the rat's visceral fat had actually grown back. And that's why they became diabetic. They became diabetic again. So further studies revealed that they would become diabetic when 60% of their visceral fat had grown back. But as long as they had less than 40%, they did not become diabetic. So that was the first study that was kind of revolutionary. Now, the second study involved 150 rats that were divided up into three groups. He had a caloric restriction group. He had an ad libitum group. And he also had an ad libitum group plus visceral fat. So those, those are the three different groups. And what the results showed was that the caloric restriction group did what is expected it to do. And the restricted group lived about 40% longer than the group with no caloric restriction. So 40% longer. The group that had their visceral fat removed didn't live quite as long, but they still lived about 
longer than the control group. In other words, the group that just ate whenever they wanted. So with the visceral fat removed, their maximum lifespan was actually close to that of the caloric restriction animals. And what this means is that nutrients themselves or the time they were administered also played a role in aging. But taking out the visceral fat had significant effects on longevity. So he may be onto something with the idea that caloric restriction causes less visceral fat, causes, causes longevity. So that's something to think about uh, moving forward. So I'm going to move forward as well and talk about Superager's top secrets. So again, Superager is part of his uh, Institute of Aging study. He kind of found these three overarching phenomenons that most profoundly slowed down aging. And hopefully these things can uh, offer hope for the rest of us. So these are the three things that he found in these superagers. The first off is that they had high levels of good cholesterol. Now this is the HDL, high density lipoproteins. This is the cholesterol that protects us from heart attacks and also dementia. And next podcast, I will talk all about cholesterol and how it, it relates to aging. So tune in for that one. So the superagers had high levels of cholesterol. They had unusually low levels of insulin growth factor 1 or IGF-1. And the third thing is that they had unusually high levels of MDP, which is mitochondrial-derived peptides. Those are kind of the three phenomenon that uh, most profoundly slowed down aging in these superagers. Again, high cholesterol, low IGF-1, and high levels of MDP or mitochondrial-derived peptides. Um, so those are the three kind of, again, overarching themes. And he also had another study called the Longevity Study. And to date, his research results have been encouraging and very enthusiastically received by the medical research community. Among the findings, the team had learned that longevity is highly likely to be inherited from generation to generation. That's the first thing. Second thing is that it's highly correlated to high levels of HDL cholesterol and low levels of LDL cholesterol, which is the bad cholesterol. And the third thing is that longevity is likely to occur among people with larger HDL and LDL molecule sizes, which results in lower incidences of cardiovascular disease, insulin resistance, and hypertension. Now, those are the three kind of things he learned uh, from his longevity study. And again, next episode, I will be discussing cholesterol and how it relates to aging. I will also be talking about growth hormone, and I will also be unraveling the longevity mystery deep inside our cells. So if that sounds interesting, make sure to tune in next episode. I hope you learned something this episode, and I'm going to go ahead and end here, and make sure to tune in next week uh, for another episode of Age Later by Dr. Nir Barzilay. Thank you for listening.